Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, and I am joined here by my fantastic bubbly co-host, Bubbly Brie. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, I gotta do my thing. (coughs) Hello, hello, everybody. How are you doing? (laughs) So, Brie, you are almost at the end of Whole30. Oh my goodness. It has been a track. Yes, it's my second time doing it, so... Bravo to you. Like I've done those things before and I am like a horrible person to deal with when I'm in it because I I just get so mad and so angry that I can't have what I want to eat. Well, you've had to deal with me. Hopefully I haven't been, I I was a little bumpy there in the beginning. I know I had like a couple days where I was like super not enjoying things well and had no energy. It's funny. The first time it didn't seem, it was harder to get through because I was hungry all the time. Now I am just daydreaming of all the things I'm going to eat when I'm I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it happens. It's like you you go through a month of like very clean eating. And then as soon as you're done, you're like, okay, now I want all the things. I know. I know. I'm hoping that I'll keep my self-control because the whole point of this was to reset my body and to kind of reset the taste buds because I have I have a bit of a sweet tooth. So trying to keep that under control. Yeah. But I got to admit, like watching everybody with those pumpkin spice. I have done everything I can to try to get a pumpkin spice latte that is sugar-free, dairy-free. And they're not the same, I have I'm yet sure. to come up with the right concoction. Oh, but, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. That's and- the first thing I'm going for when I can. <laughs> Hopefully it'll taste good. I oh, bet it'll, it'll be so delightful. good. I bet like right? all the sugar will get into your veins and you'll just soak it in. You'll be here in your car being like, oh. I'll be like <laughs> that scene from old school where Will Ferrell gets like a taste of beer for the first time. A lot of times he's like, it's so good when it touches your lips. <laughs> That'll be me. That is completely understandable. I think that would be me as well. Yeah. So our guest today, we are talking all about how to connect with your kids. And it's a bit of a serious subject because our guest, her name is Tessa Stuckey. She is a therapist, mom of four, and author of the book, For the Sake of Our Youth. And For the Sake of Our Youth is all about and based on Tessa's work counseling teenagers and a really disturbing trend she saw in teenagers about how when something bad and traumatic happened in their lives, one of their go-tos immediately became suicide, which is horrifying on many levels. But as a parent, it's just so scary. Right. That was something that really, really connected with me as well. I mean, in my family, we we do have some some mental health concerns in our family. And I, I have um, a family member, a close family member that has dealt with suicide. I've, I had my own grapples with depression when I was younger that you know, was very stressful, some self-harm issues there. And I, it's just, it's very scary to think about that's the kind of world that our children are growing up in. And I remember when I was younger struggling, I, I thought it was so quiet. And now I feel like you hear it so much. You hear about the the rise in teen suicides in high school, self-harm. You know, I worked in an elementary slash middle school district and every single counselor we had in the middle schools were like, it's an epidemic. So many girls are doing it. And it was more girls than boys. And I have a girl and a boy and I'm concerned about both of them. Just there's so many things. And where you have probably heard about this issue before, please like take heart. Tessa does give us a lot of great practical strategies that we can start doing with our kids so that they feel more connected to us. She was wonderful to talk to you and we hope you enjoy our interview with Tessa. 
We are supported by the Sib Journal coming out the last week of October. The Sib Journal solves that question of how do I get my children to talk to each other like human beings instead of fighting with each other the entire time? Yes. Yes. It takes kids through naming their emotions, telling themselves positive thoughts, dealing with shame, dealing with boundaries, how kids could set boundaries. And then it teaches them how they can communicate their feelings to their siblings in a way that solves the issue and lets them feel heard. The Sib Journal is coming out the last week of October. Until then, make sure you go grab our free sibling adventure log. There is a link for you in the show notes. It is just a bunch of fun activities that your kids can do together. They're like secret agents and they have missions. So you can grab the free sibling adventure log in our show notes and let's get on with the show. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. Welcome, Tessa, to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. We're so happy to have you. Hey, thank you so much for having me. How's everything going today? How's like your life and all these COVID things? Everything's good <laughs> right now. You know, this morning was a little bit stressful because I had to get the boys on the bus. I have four boys and the bus never came. And I still and I still had to get ready because I was going to be featured on a local news station. So I was a little bit stressed this morning, but now all is well. I you know, de-stressed a little bit and I feel fine. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That is stressful. Yeah. When we started the interview, like the first thing I was like, I'm like, you're so done up and pretty. And you're like, oh, I had to do TV. And it's always like, (laughs) we're like, got it. Got it. The TV makeup, the TV, everything. It's funny though. Like both uh, our kids uh, go to a school that we have to, we have to drive them to. But like when you said the bus never came, like ever takes me back to my growing up in the Midwest. And sometimes like you're out there and like the bus doesn't come. Just to, And you're like, okay, well, call mom and dad and figure out how to get there. It's just one of those things that I've become a little dependent on. <laughs> you know? And rightfully so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I do have to kind of sit back and, and, you know, practice some gratitude that we even are able to use the bus system here. And it's a safe neighborhood and I feel comfortable with them on the bus. So obviously I took them to school and I was stressing the whole time, but I got home with plenty, plenty of time to get ready and to calm down a little bit. But it's a hard way to start the day when things don't go the way you plan. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I wonder why the bus wasn't there today. Oh, I don't know. And, And 30 minutes after it was supposed to come, I got an email saying, hey, we're experiencing delay. I was like, yeah, I see that. Thank you. Um, so, so for our listeners who aren't aware of what you do, can you give us like in a nutshell, like what you do and uh, what you work, work on? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So I'm a therapist. I'm a licensed professional counselor out of the Houston, Texas area. And I mostly work with, well, I started working mostly with teenagers and then 
I was recognizing so much of a cultural shift that had happened since I was in high school, which I'm from this same town. And I had graduated high school less than 10 years when I started practicing as a therapist. And there was so many different things happening. And at first I thought, am I finally just getting older? (laughs) But it was just too, it became really scary because a lot of these teenagers were talking about really deep, dark, heavy topics like suicide and self-harm and intense depression and anxiety. And I, it didn't fit some of the things that, you know, I studied in grad school and I had known suicidal ideation and those heavy topics to look like. It, it seemed like they were reacting to typical life stressors and going straight to that option. And it just scared me really bad. And so I decided to go on this big research journey. I, I'm also a mom of four. And at the time, I think my oldest was five or six. So they were really little at that time. And I decided to figure out what what the heck was happening in our world that so many teenagers were suffering. And I found six contributing factors from our culture that are impacting our kids' mental health. And so I started presenting at churches and schools and really to anyone who would listen to me and decided to sit down to write an article to hopefully submit to my local newspaper. And I just kept writing and, you know, 80,000 words later, it turned into a book. So, so yeah, I'm a mom of four boys and I keep seeing teenagers, but more now I see parents. I talk to parents of kids of all different ages, not just teenagers to help spread awareness of what's going on in our culture and how we need to kind of evolve as parents and change some things so that they can be safe and happy and strong individuals in this world. Hey all, it is Joanne and Bree here, and we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. You have probably heard me talk about my dog, Addie, before. And when we first got her, we didn't know that she was a counter surfer. Now, counter surfing animals are the ones who jump on counters, especially kitchen counters, when you're not looking and take stuff off of them. Well, in this instance, Addie had jumped onto the kitchen counter and 
eaten an entire bottle of my other dog's pain medication. You can imagine the freak out that ensued from me. So imagine this. You're at the vet's office again, knowing that vet care costs continue to rise. You're anxiously waiting to hear how expensive the bill will be. But If you had pet insurance, your pet could be covered for accidents or illnesses. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care that they may need. They allow you to customize the plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. Because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash no guilt. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash no guilt. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash no guilt. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. Yeah, as a as a parent, I downloaded your book the other night and we were doing our family reading time and I just could not put it down. And like I, I read it with like almost like a heart racing. It was a heart racing read, even though it was very, it was very gripping, but it was it, it brought a lot of fear in me of things that I see too in society. So can you like go through just a little bit? What like do you see kind of contributes to this rise in teenage suicides? Because like in your book, you said that there was a cluster almost that happened in your town. Yeah. So when I started seeing these teenagers at the same time, there were about six girls who had ended their life by suicide and just within a year and a half. And it was just, it was very shocking in our community and it was just too much. And I was getting information from teenagers and I still today do. They, I sit with them and they tell me their thoughts and they share their secrets and their insight on today's world. And I just couldn't be quiet about it anymore because it's changing the way I parent my kids. And I just want every parent to hear what I have to say because it's, it's crucial. Our world really has changed significantly since we were teenagers. If there's something that we can do, small changes that, that we can make and the way that we're parenting, that's going to have our children be able to have the skills that they need to be able to deal with the stressors of this world. I mean, to be able to thrive and to God forbid, not lose them to depression or self-harm or the ultimate of suicide That's a great thing. Well, and something that really struck me in your book is that how you said that the way these kids are presenting was not what you were taught in your program and not how like therapists are taught to like see potential suicide danger. So can you talk a little bit about that and what you found there? Not only did I, you know, go through a grad program and learn about suicide and felt prepared to work with suicide 
But I also grew up, both of my parents are psychologists and therapists as well. So I grew up in a house where mental health issues were being brought up at the dinner table all the time. You know, I was very well aware of what suicidal ideation looks like. And when I'm sitting with these teenagers and they're presenting to me, you know, that their mom got mad because they got a C on their chemistry exam. So they went upstairs to write a suicide note that didn't sit well, obviously. And it was client after client after client. And at first I thought, okay, I need to peel back some layers. Where's the trauma? Where's the abuse? Where's the neglect? Where's the severe mental illness? And I would say maybe one of my clients fit any of those. And she only fit that category because her little sister was one of the six that had ended her life by suicide. So she was grieving and going through that trauma. But everyone else, they didn't sit, they had no trauma, no abuse, no neglect, and it was no mental illness, but they were being labeled with mental illness for thinking about suicide. And that didn't sit well with me either because that means hospitalization, medication, and that could do even worse if you don't actually have the mental illness. So I found that it wasn't necessarily a mental illness issue anymore. It was a mental health issue that was happening. And so I found six contributing factors and I've broken them down into three main problems. Problem number one is that our kids are not learning how to become resilient and learn how to cope. They are living in a time when everything is instant. So they are seeking that immediate gratification through every struggle, even the little struggles like being bored or not knowing what to do or brother taking from something from me, they go to the instant fix, right? And so if they're being raised with a screen or something just as the answer, obviously it doesn't actually fix anything. And when they reach those very intense emotional hormonal years of teenage years and something really heartbreaking might happen or is overwhelming for their emotions, they want an instant fix because that's all they know. They don't know how to struggle through the issue and there's no instant fix for emotional distress. Yeah. And one of the most salient examples, like I I heard you talk about is the, the families at restaurants at the dinner table where, you know, parents who are totally stressed out, they just, they need that, that time alone. And so when they go out, they, they'll hand over the screens and you see this like whole table just on screen. Right. It's really heartbreaking to see that because that goes into my next the problem number two, which is the lack of connections. And that starts at home. And like you said, you go out to eat and you see all these families and that's a chance to connect. And they're not connecting because they all have a screen in front of them and it's happening more and more at home. And, And with kids too, with each other, right? They're connecting through the screen, through social media or games, but they're not actually spending true quality time together. I can't tell you how many of my clients say that they have no true friends. They have all these followers or all these friends on Snapchat, but they don't have any true friends. And they describe the only friends that they do have at a very surface level. And I could see how that could happen because they don't, they don't meet up together. They don't have to build some social skills that are necessary to have those deep relationships that we need. And as humans, we are not meant to be lonely. And loneliness is a horrible, horrible emotion that can take over and cloud our judgment big time. 
I think, have you seen that more during this whole pandemic when people are so isolated from each other? Yeah, it's funny because my clients, I've been working with them through these issues for a while. And so when the pandemic hit, I was not worried about my clients and they actually did really well. We had already built up the resilience and the coping skills and, you know, how to connect with people and be okay when you're, when you are at home alone and how to struggle through that. But I got a lot of new clients that just could not bear. And I mean, I think, especially with the pandemic right now, everyone is feeling that blah feeling we really are meant to be a community and to have our tribes and to connect. And when we don't have that, it's very isolating and lonely. And and when you're lonely, you just don't think clearly, let's be honest. Right. And I always say boredom is really great for little kids to experience because it helps them build that resilience, but boredom for teenagers and adults, I mean, it's not good. I don't like being bored either. And if our teenagers haven't built up that creative resilience of getting through the boredom, then they're going to really struggle. I could see that. I could see how that happens. And I always like encourage parents to kind of let their kids be bored, but you're right. Like it's good for school age kids to be bored because then they have to go find something to do. And then they figure out what they like to do and how to get through it. And that's why it's important for them to be able to do that when they're younger. So that like you're just saying, like when they get to that teenage timeframe, they have those skills already there. Because if you think about how hard this pandemic has been for us as adults, it's hard. So much harder for our children. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And a lot of us adults, we've already established hobbies and coping skills. And we, I mean, some of us don't, you know, practice good emotional hygiene and stress relievers, but some of us have already struggled enough to know what, what we need in order to feel that emotional balance. And so we've already gotten there, but our kids haven't, right? And teenagers, they've only relied on their phone. And so they're spending hours and hours and hours scrolling and it's mindless and it's not productive and there's no balance to go with it. And so when we connect over the phone, you get, or when you're just on your phone in general, you get a good rush of dopamine, which is the same chemical that is in cocaine, right? And so basically they're getting that same feeling that someone feels when they're high, but they're not getting the oxytocin. And the oxytocin is what you get when you make eye contact, when you respond to somebody's body language, when you can touch them, smell them, see them in person. And now more than ever because of the pandemic, but before the pandemic, it was happening horribly with today's youth where they just weren't getting that. Out of curiosity, have you seen the Netflix documentary on right now called The Social Dilemma? Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of that and how like Vincent Carthizer, who's in Mad Men, who I know him from, he's like the evil phone and the Facebook. And it shows you how like Facebook and social media apps are meant to trigger that dopamine reaction in people so that they keep needing more and more hits. Yeah. They purposely are being created and updated so that you get more of the dopamine But it's actually, you know, just like someone who is addicted to drugs or cocaine, you take that away from them, they are so imbalanced with their chemicals that they can't, they can't handle it, right? So that's what's happening to our kids. Like if they've been gaming all day or on their phone all day, and we take that away from them, guarantee you're going to get a tantrum or some sort of 
backlash from them because they can't chemically handle it. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Hey guys, Brie here. And let me tell you, April is a killer time of the year for me because it is crazy allergy season. I swear, everything that is in bloom looks fantastic and beautiful, but it makes it so I can't breathe. I am literally coughing, sneezing, rubbing my nose. I look like Rudolph half of the spring. It's terrible. But luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies like I do, we live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can finally breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine is the best decongestant available. It relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I absolutely love it. It is the only allergy medicine that works for me. So if you're ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just one quick Trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Yeah, that is, it's so interesting. So what are some things that, that we can do if it let so let's say you're telling me right now all of these things and I'm thinking in my head, oh my goodness, that's my child. And you have the heart beating really, really fast. What is, what is like one step, one thing that I can do as a parent to start moving away from that situation for my, for my tween, for my teen? Yeah. Well, for the first thing to do for teen and tweens is to start having conversations with them. And that can be really hard to do if you don't have a good connection with them. And so you have to take the time to build a little bit of that so that they feel safe and comfortable to be honest and vulnerable with you. 10 times out of 10, I get a client in here who's 12, 13, 14, and everything I start talking about with the phone, they agree with me. And they say things like, I wish I never had this thing, or I wish I wasn't even on social media. And so they agree. So as parents, we have to put some of the shame aside, some of the lecturing aside and recognize how we are responding to our children rather than reacting. A lot of times we want to react and get upset or prove that we're smart. Mom knows best. You know, you should listen to me. A lot of that comes from fear-based parenting. But what's really important is to validate what they're going through and help let them express their emotions and then respond. So someone who is a tween or a teen, one thing that's really great is I have them, the parent just simply say, hey, I heard this therapist talking about this stuff today and it got me thinking, what are your thoughts on it? or even watching the Netflix social dilemma together, or there's another really great documentary on YouTube called Childhood 2.0. If you haven't checked that out, you absolutely should. It's very moving. And watching that with your teenager and then having a discussion after. But there's no denying that they are all struggling and a lot of it goes back to the phone. And so just even having a conversation about the lack of balance, like you're on your phone five hours, six hours a day, and you're not doing anything productive. So this is where it gets a little bit in the gray area. Some parents are like, 
well, should I just take the phone away completely? You know, they need it for school. I'm not against screens. I am against when it's not a productive activity and they're, it's mindless and they're not benefiting from it. If that's what they're doing all the time on their screen, then they're going to struggle emotionally after that. You know, and a lot of times as adults, we use our phones for productivity. We're not sitting there playing Candy Crush all day long. We're answering emails. We're checking things so that we can further our career. We're calling the right people or texting people to ask questions about this weekend. You know, not to say that adults don't do the mindless scrolling and stuff too. But as parents, we have to teach our kids how to find that balance. And with the mindless scrolling, like, I I mean, I, as an adult, I can feel like my emotions take a nosedive when I start doing the mindless scrolling. Uh, it's, yeah. and you're like, okay, if my emotions are going this way, like, what are my kids? What are they going through? If they don't, which they really shouldn't, if their kids know how to self-regulate their emotions, then we're just like leaving them in the dust, basically. And we're not, we're not teaching them the correct way to be on a phone beyond social media. Social media has all other problems that go with it. The biggest one is, you know, the unrealistic comparisons and feeling left out. Um, Huge, huge. And I don't think anybody can deny that, right? Like as parents, we know that it's there, right? But we know it's there because we see it and we get stressed out. And and like you said, we're all guilty. We all have Mm -hmm. have scrolled through our our camera looking for the perfect picture of how great I managed to do something that day with my family, how perfect we all look. And that snapshot was like one little piece, but then all of us look at that as the norm. Mm -hmm. And we all know that we do it. So, and like you were just talking to, about the phone. I'm on the phone. I'm normally, that's how I read my articles, my news articles. It tends to be on my phone because it's easier than pulling out my laptop. And I've had this conversation many times with my 12 year old daughter when she's on her phone and I'll say something like, you know, you've been on there for a while and I, and I know you're playing Candy Crush or whatever. And she'll be like, well, you're on your phone all the time. And I'll turn it over to her. I'll be like, yeah, but I'm reading. You know, and so you have to think about that, not only like, what are we showing them, but do they see, like you just said, how are we functionally using our, our technology and having that conversation? And maybe I need to start doing it in a different way so that my daughter can, can break that because to her, that's not what a phone is. There's no teenager that's on there looking at the New York Times. It's just (laughs) not realistic. That's not what they're doing. (laughs) So what I tell a lot of parents when it comes to the phone usage as because that happens a lot where the girl, the daughter or the son will say, well, you're always on your phone. One thing that I suggest parents do is to narrate what you're going to do on your phone. So before you even pick it up to say, you know what, I'm going to check the weather today on my phone. And because I'll never forget my son coming up to me and saying, mom, are we going to that birthday party this afternoon? And while he's standing there in my head, I'm thinking, oh, shoot, I forgot about that birthday party. I need to go get a gift. I need to check the weather. I need to find the Evite. I need to figure out where it is, how long it'll take us to get there. I need to figure out all in my head. And I'm I'm doing this. So I've got my phone right in his face because I'm trying to answer my questions within my head about the birthday party. And he's still standing there and he has no idea what I'm doing. So what am I signaling to him? Like, I'm ignoring you basically with this right in front of me. But the minute I say, you know what, let me grab my phone and check my email to see where that party is. And then I'll figure that out and let you know, you're just narrating it for them. And it just makes a huge difference. And I'll tell you, my husband did not agree with me on that tip. 
he did not until one of the boys asked him to change the song in the car. And so he picked up his phone to change the song. And my son goes, dad, you're always on your phone. Can you just change the song? I asked you to change your song and you're not listening to me. And he was like, no, I'm literally changing the song that you're asking right now. And I was like, oh, I wonder what would have happened if you said, oh, let me pick up my phone and do that for you, you know, or whatever. So it's really powerful and helpful for our kids to be aware of what we are doing on our phone so that they don't think we're ignoring them. And they don't think we're hypocritical because that's really, really important. They're not going to come talk to us about anything if they think we're a hypocrite. I like that tip because like so much you hear about like, oh, parents just need to put down their screens. And it's not realistic in today's society to put down your screen because like you said, there's so much work that we do on our phones. But just simply by changing our behavior just a little bit and narrating what we're doing on our screens can make all the difference. Yeah, I do. I do encourage parents to wait until they're not with their kids to do the mindless scrolling, right? So if you're going to get on Instagram or Facebook or Pinterest, or if you do play Candy Crush, that's fine. But don't do it with your kids around because you're one, you're disconnecting from them. And that's one of the biggest problems is we need to connect with our kids. And two, that you're modeling that behavior and you're making it okay to just ignore or, you know, escape from reality for a little bit in the living room. Yeah. I mean, I, I guilty. I've done it. I've done it. (laughs) I did it uh, last on Tuesday when we were watching, like me and my daughter watching dancing with the stars. And I found like, I was just on my phone actually checking up on the debate. Uh, that was also happening at the same time. <laughs> and and then I look over and she is on her device looking and I'm like, okay, well, and I told her, okay, I'm going to put my phone over there on the kitchen. How about you? Your phone can join my phone. It, they could be friends and we're just going to cuddle and watch because you don't realize. Yeah, you don't. There's been a couple of times when we're watching like a little movie, like a kid movie, because my kids are younger. My oldest is nine and then it trickles down from there. And so we'll be watching like Madagascar or something. And in my head, I'm like, Ooh, I wonder who plays that hippopotamus. I do that all the time. And right. so I grab That's my every phone. Actor. Yes. So I love doing that. I, I love guessing who it is and then seeing if I'm right. So I will just look it up and then they're like, mom, watch the movie. And I'm like, Oh, but you, I, mm, mm-hmm. so I, let them, I let them call me out on it too. So that's really important. If you're going to have some of these foundation rules and expectations with screens or anything, really, it's really important to allow your kids to call you out on it in a respectful tone. All that does is signal, I'm a human too, and I make mistakes. And it's okay for you to let me know, like, this is this doesn't have to do with screens. But the other day, you know, we have the whole shoe basket in the closet thing. And I left my shoes in the living room. And usually when my boys leave their shoes out, I simply say something like, oh, I'm so confused why these shoes are right here. Because, oh my gosh, Bo, why are your shoes right? I'm so confused right now. This isn't where they go. And the other day when I left mine in the living room, my son goes, oh, mom, I am so confused right now. There are (laughs) shoes in the living room and I don't understand why. And it would have been so easy because it was a rough day for me. It would have been so easy for me to be like, listen, kid, I've had a rough day. Don't talk to me like that. This is my house. I can leave my shoes wherever I want. You know, 
be quiet. Don't tell your mom what to do. It would have been very easy. But I had to fight that and just say, oh my gosh, you're right. Thank you so much. I can't believe I forgot my shoes in the living room. You know, It's amazing. Like how much like they copy the behavior that you model, because like, I I have like a similar story where I talk to my son a lot about like the brain and like, you know, the downstairs brain and the upstairs brain and how like things go out of whack or whatever. And so the other day he brought the brain back at me and he's like, my brain just isn't letting me make good choices. (laughs) And I had to stop myself and I'll be like, okay. But like, it's funny like kids that yeah, is, they use their good. they yeah. use your words they back at you back and like and you, you just have to like take your breath you just have to take it but I like that about the whole you know letting your kids know when you make mistakes because that's a big thing with me like I always do that with my my kids I don't expect perfection out of them and I want to make sure that they always understand that so whenever I make a mistake I really am quick to be like well mom made a mistake on that one and if I have a solution, then I say it. And if I don't, I'll be like, hey, can you guys help me on this? But yeah, it's it's common in my household for my kids to call me on something. Oh, very sure. common. Yeah. <laughs> and at the yeah. same time, like that, it's not fun getting called out. It's oh, yeah. really not fun getting called out. Uh, and it makes me, whenever I get called out, I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> maybe, maybe this is how my kids feel when I call them out on things. Yeah, it's really good to actually remember that because we're calling our kids out with everything right? Especially if we're stuck in this fear-based way of thinking, we're going to call them out thinking, oh my gosh, you don't put your shoes away. Therefore, you're never going to be a responsible human being and you're going to fail in school and you'll never get a job because you can't follow a simple rule like putting your shoes away. So it's really easy to get caught up in that fear. And, and then we criticize them or we shame them or we call them out with a disrespectful tone and it comes across as angry or disappointed and they take that away as the message rather than, oh, I messed up and my mom's got my back. But when you talk to them with respect and, and build them to believe, Hey, we're all going to make mistakes. And part of that is allowing them to call us out in our house. We have something called the turnaround and we also have something called the reset button. And the turnaround is basically, I mean, I can give you all the backstory. My, when my oldest was four, so I had a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and then twin newborns. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was very stressed and we were trying to get out the door and he was throwing a fit over something ridiculous. And I said in like my best mom voice, like you better turn that attitude around or we're not going to go or something. And he looked at me with the meanest face and he physically did a 360 and came back with a smile. And it was just the cutest thing and the best thing ever. And I started laughing and he started laughing and it just hit me hard. Like there are times when not all the time, but sometimes we can just choose to turn our attitude around. And so now we, it's a thing in our house where we'll say, I think you need to turn around before we go to the zoo today, because otherwise we might not have fun or whatever. And I let my kids call me out or I will even say like, you need to do a turnaround and mommy needs to do a turnaround right now. So like, give me a second to calm down and then we're all going to do a turnaround. And it's really powerful to all do that together or for them to see me admit my flaws and my inability to regulate my emotions at some time. 
Right. Everybody struggles. And and challenge, like challenges with self-regulation. I mean, every adult, every person struggles with self-regulation. None of us are perfect on it. But I especially love that bringing in the physical movement with that. I like that. I was like the physical, we occasionally, we would use that at some of the preschools that I worked at. We would Uh have the kids be like, okay, let's do a turnaround. We're going to turn this day around. Mm -hmm. All right, let's do it together. And the teacher would turn around and the kids would turn around and you, ah. Yeah. I love that. So I love that you've, You've given us like so many tips that parents can use from like the turnaround to like just connecting more and that narrating with cell phones. Like I'm going to do that like from now on because it's so good. So where can our listeners go to find out more about you and connect with you? So I spend most of my time marketing through Instagram. So you can find me at the mom therapist. Or you can go to my website at Tessa Stuckey, and that's with an ey.com. You can get my book for the sake of our youth on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And the podcast is named the same thing for the sake of our youth. That is awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for spending time with us. We've so enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank y'all. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Sounds good. So I love talking with Tessa because she she gave us so much great stuff and practical stuff that we could do, but she also really made us aware of the gravity of the situation and what's going on. Right, right. And you know what I also loved is she was just so easy to talk to. And I think as a mom and having younger kids, she's just so in tune with the things that we can start doing now to help prevent as they get older and then what to do with individuals that have like a tween like you and I do. It's it was really, really helpful. I especially liked her part about talking about the lack of connection. Yeah. I feel like we've heard that resonated it with so many people we've interviewed for the podcast. Yeah. Well, I w- like mentioned during our interview is like when you go out to eat and you just see those families around the restaurant table all on devices and you're like, what is going on over there? And the way she describes it in her book is that, you know, parents, they have this newborn or they have this toddler who they are so concerned about making a scene in the restaurant and making it horrible for other people that they really find this quick fix of giving the kid a screen to kind of amuse them with funny videos and whatnot. But then that little quick fix is used over and over and over again so that when the kid gets fussy, they have no other coping mechanism other than the screen in front of them. Right. So it's interesting that you bring that up because it it gets started from a good place, a a good point. Like you're, as a parent, you're thinking, okay, we have this issue. We're going to need to solve it. Mm -hmm. This will work. Yes. And I think it does have a lot to do. And we had another discussion, I think with Jessica Leahy about this as well, about long-term versus short-term results of the actions that, that you do with your child. So again, this is a doing the screen time with your child so that they're able to be calm while you're grocery shopping. And again, it's, it's a delicate balance. People, you know, we're not, there's no judging here. Right. There's, There's no, no judging. judging here. We're just looking at it like from the whole like short term, you need to get that grocery shopping done. You need to get the meal done. So the screen time helps. But the long term effect is that it doesn't teach your child how to handle boredom. Mm-hmm. It doesn't teach your child those proper coping mechanisms that we're finding that Tessa was finding in her work that once they get into that teenage years where they're faced with all of these stressors that 
everybody has, but especially hit the teenagers, they don't have the coping mechanisms. They don't know how to deal with it. And looking at it from that perspective, like it makes so much sense because I guess when we were younger, like we had no choice but to deal with the issue. Like we didn't have, remember like having a portable computer in your hand seemed like something out of the space age. Like I I feel like I'm so old saying that, but it really did. Even having a computer. Even having a computer. We had a lot of computers in my house though, because my dad was the computer science teacher at his high school. I remember getting one in sixth grade and it was a big deal. We had like three, but I mean, that was his work and his job. So that's why we had it. But when we acted up, like our parents had to leave the restaurant. Like there were no other choices really than just leaving. And now I think like there's so much pressure on parents to look like they have it together and feel like if their kids are well-behaved, it somehow reflects on them. And so they want to show that, yes, their kids could sit still. Their kids can like let them go out to dinner. They can still have a normal life. Like all of those things are at play with the like decision to have screens at a restaurant table. Mm -hmm. But then there's the other side of like parents today, we just don't know how to do it. We weren't taught. They weren't taught. We're the first generation. We are the first generation of parents dealing with this. So Mm -hmm. you know what? We are doing the best we can. Yes. But with that being said, the best you can also means continuing to educate yourself on Mm -hmm. what we're seeing the trends. Yeah. So again, like Tessa was an it was a, oh gosh, Tessa loved, loved our conversation. It was so great getting to talk with her. But, you know, she gave us so many great things talking about how you can start that conversation. You can connect. Mm-hmm. You can narrate when you're with your device. I love the narration thing because I do that a lot where like I'll, my, I'll be triggered with something. I'll be like, oh, I need to check on that or I need to check on that. And it's something like when my kid is around and they don't know that I'm looking at something for them or because figuring to them, something for them. It's just a device in front of them. Right. To them, that device is something completely different than what it is for you. Like for our children, the devices are games, their movies, their videos, their music, their TikTok, things like that. But as adults, really, really, are we on TikTok all the time? Okay, I'll admit, like, you know, I'll get on sometimes, look for a funny video, or I'll scroll my Facebook once in a while. But I'm not doing that all the time. I'm reading articles on there. I'm answering emails. I'm text messaging my mom. I'm writing my grocery list. But the kids don't use it that way. So they don't see it that way. They don't. And honestly, every time I see my daughter with her device in her hand, and she will attest to this, like, I get fearful. And I'm like, so how's your screen time today? Are you monitoring that? She's like, yes, mom, I've only been on this many hours or like like just an hour or two and the rest has been doing schoolwork and I'm like okay so like what are you looking at on there what do you see what do you like <laughs> I mean my daughter probably she probably thinks like I, I'm, I'm a little paranoid about the device use because you see all this stuff and it just gets in your head and you get so afraid as a parent well, and Tessa did talk about the the alterations it does to your brain chemistry so that was another great thing the dopamine the, I mean, hits yes mm-hmm. and I can personally attest to the dopamine hits I have an addiction to the analytics for the no guilt mom blog I had that for a while where I had to check every single day to see how many people were on the website and I was encouraging it too I was like yeah go Yeah, I do it a little bit with this podcast. I check. I'm like, okay, how many downloads have we had? And that's an addictive behavior because it's a slot machine. It's just the same thing going on as when people check likes on Instagram or like people check Facebook comments. It's the same thing. It rewires your brain. And I don't think there's any shame to be said about that. But it's something to keep in mind when you feel yourself doing it. You're like, oh, I am being manipulated. Yeah, yeah. 
So, so great stuff in today's episode. Definitely take a listen, or I guess you did. We're at the end. We, we, Sorry. we, we're at the end. That's they did listen. Good. They did listen. But you did listen. So, you know, we would love for you to stick around. If you have not yet hit that subscribe button on the No Guilt Mom podcast, hit subscribe right now and you get a new episode every Tuesday and Thursday uh, to listen to. And we have some amazing, amazing guests lined up. You're not going to want to miss it. And while you're there, Leave us a review. We love stars too. We love Please stars. Feel free to leave us a star. But if you have One a few seconds, we love five. <laughs> but whatever you're, whatever you, you think. Yeah, if you have a few seconds and you can just type out a few sentences about what you enjoyed to help other parents find this podcast, we'd so appreciate it. And we like reading our reviews on air. And so let's do that now. All right. So today we have one from Ray Fink. I wonder if that's a, a shout out to Ray Finkel from uh, Ace Ventura. Oh, I forgot his name was Ray. Just Finkel. thinking. All right. So the title is informative and restorative. It says, I won't lie. I binge listened to the first three episodes of the podcast. The host Joanne and Brie set a stage for our everyday parenting struggles with a mindset mantra in the first episode. I found the second episode extremely helpful as I have also struggled with my kids engaged in online learning and their guest host, Dr. Lisa Bravo, gave me a roadmap on how to handle so much screen time. That's episode two. The key is to embrace the messiness. I'm looking forward to the next podcast and you will too. Yay! Thank you, Ray Fink. Aw, big, big virtual fuzzy hugs. So as we leave you today, remember the best mom is a happy mom. Take care of you. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for stopping by. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking